First and and Second Corinthians is a unique passage. It's been so mistaught. Not that I'm any smart thing, but it is really mistaught. It's it's an egregiously poorly taught two chapters of the Bible, because the understanding uh, of it is skewed. Where it came from, why, what the gist of it was, and what really was being said. So we're going to answer some questions. We're not going to do all this tonight, as you will see. We're going to say we're going to we're going to figure out. These are questions to answer in First Corinthians. We'll just take it one at a time. From chapter one, what is the foolishness of man? What is the definition of wisdom? What does Paul say about wisdom in chapter two? What is the difference between the spiritual and the worldly brothers in the first part of First Corinthians three? What should a believer do who is married to an unbeliever? What should they do according to Paul, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, 8 to 24? What are the rights of apostleship according to uh, Paul in chapter 9? How does Paul defend his apostleship? And you'll understand why these things are important. What was the abuse of the Lord's table or the Lord's supper or communion? How many of, how many of you know it by any of those names? When you go up and you get the wafer and you get the, you know, so it's pretty interesting how that shakes out. That's in chapter 11, the end of chapter 11. Why is the concept that spiritual gifts are under the control of the Spirit of the Lord, why is that important to an understanding of the doctrine of spiritual gifts? We're going to talk about that in chapter 12. And then we're going to talk about your view of 1 Corinthians 13.8. And can we defend that? I'm going to give you my view because I'm talking. According to Paul, what spiritual gift should be preferred to tongues, to speaking in tongues, and why is this the case? How it, now, this is question 12. How is the resurrection a key to the reign of Christ? Those are all the things that we're going to do. Can you believe it? How cool is that, that we're going to answer all those questions? That's just in chapter or in uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to do even more in 2 Corinthians. Now, what I want to say to you is probably a good idea for you to bring your Bible or your iPad with your Bible on it, because uh, we're really going to read a lot and we're going to we're going to reference a lot of things. It'll be easier for you to follow along. Um, I may or may not do some presentation this time. You'll notice that I stopped doing that for quite some time. H- who has any idea why maybe I did that? Well, it does take preparation time, and I but I love doing that, and it's fun to do. Some miss it. Some have messaged me to say, hey, we missed that. That's something important. And we're going to do more of that in this study. We're not going to do it tonight, but we're going to do more of that in this study. What, what do you think maybe another reason might be? The, the lamp is about to die, and the lamp is 550 bucks. So we're holding off on buying a new lamp. The lamp was more expensive by 5 bucks than the unit was because Jerry sent, did you call me or sent me a message or text me and said, hey, one sale a day, flash sale, like $2,000 projector, it's only $549 or even less than that maybe. And so we jumped on it. This was this was uh, some time ago. And it has been a great projector, but yeah, if they have another sale, just buy another new one. Uh, so anyway, so I'm leery of using it because it is, as you'll notice, it's taken longer to, you know, when we stopped using it, we couldn't get it to run. And that's why I found out that it, as the lamp starts to die. But that's another reason, but then there's another reason, an actual yeah, <laughs> smart board. No, he didn't get tired of it. He didn't get tired of it. That's good thinking. How many, by the way, how many were at the funeral this week? Yeah, that was a nice funeral. That was, that was a nice bunch of people. We had a nice dinner afterwards at the Glass Kitchen. It was nice. How many of you know Bill got in a car crash leaving Glass Kitchen? Yeah, got rear-ended. Yeah, I pulled out, and I meant to make an announcement at the the cement when when we did the cemetery uh, part to say, hey, when you're leaving out of here, and for the next couple of days, be real alert when you're driving, because you're going to be in a fog, you know, and and I forgot to do that, so I'm I'm gonna, yeah, everybody's fine, and it wasn't a major major crash, but it was still that's the last thing he needed really, uh, and they were also exhausted. It was just pulling out. Just pulling out on the road. Oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yep. People are crazy. People are crazy how they don't pay attention. Um, so the other reason is there are lots of different ways that we learn. One of the ways that we learn, obviously, is someone tells you, and then you retain about, I don't know, 3 to 10%. If you want to bump that up a whole lot more, you have a visual thing. And then if you really want to seal the deal, you have people make notes, take notes, and answer questions, different things. And that's what we're, we're coming towards. You don't have to. You're not going to turn your paper in. None of that stuff. But we're going to work our way to that. But for the last study, this is the real answer. The, the lamp thing is a big, big reason, but the real answer is for Revelation, I didn't want to put a bunch of pictures in your mind so that you imagine how somebody else did. I wanted you to imagine the things happening in your mind, how you envision it. So uh, that was a big part of the reason. So First and Second Corinthians, uh, very powerful. I'm going to read some. And I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible, uh, so you'll hear some, you know, the actual words instead of the English made-up words. From Shaul, or Paul, called by God's will to be an emissary of the Messiah Yeshua, from Brother Sosthenes. To, this is who it's to, this is, this is so clear, isn't it? We know who's writing it. There's no guess. Well, who wrote that? He's telling us, by the way, I wrote this. To God's messianic community in Corinth, consisting of those who have been set apart by Yeshua the Messiah and called to be God's holy people, along with everyone everywhere who calls on the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, their Lord as well as ours. Okay, I was going to try to read more before I said something, but I can't help it. So, was there, we're talking to the Jews and we're talking to the non-Jews. Was that said? The Messianic community. Was there actually a separation between Christians and Jews originally? Why? Because the Christians were the Jews. We never stopped being Jews. There never stopped being that, you know, that connection because they were the originators of it. So when we try to push our Jewishness out of, uh, of our theology, we really do ourselves a disfavor because we put our history out, the richest part of our history out. Some of the stuff is scary because it is different. Oh, by the way, Dr. Skip Moen, be back here the first Sunday in December. So tell your friends we need to fill all the seats. Um, he, he will be here, so he's going to be speaking. So that'll be cool, and he'll speak instead of me. And he's a lot smarter, so it'll be better, as you all well know. So anyway, the point is, is that it's very important we always need to know who the audience is. It's silly to read a passage and not know who's talking. And it's equally silly, probably more so, to know, well, who is he talking to? Is he talking to us? Were we mentioned anywhere in there? Two, God's messianic community in Corinth. Are we in Corinth? No, we're not in Corinth. Consisting of those who have been set apart by Yeshua the Messiah and called to be God's holy people along with everyone everywhere who calls on the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah their Lord as well as ours now does that name us are we everyone everywhere how about Paul how about how he knew that this is going to be because inarguably many passages of scriptures that I've talked about I, I have said to you very clearly this was not written for us can we derive benefit from learning from it absolutely but it wasn't written for us this was written for us. Why? Why did Paul write this for us? Paul wrote this for us because he knew we would jack the idea of the kehala or, or the ecclesia in, in Greek, which is really not the most accurate way of describing it. Kehala is this. The ecclesia is some formal gathering in a formal building where you have rent and you have all of these things. And, you don't, and certainly it doesn't include this. The, the ecclesia would, now I'm pointing to the food, the ecclesia, right, it would be, you're lucky if it's once a quarter. I used to go to a church in Tennessee, Millington, Tennessee, where every Wednesday they had family supper. And for $2.50, I, I, think, I think it was $2.50 a person, you had southern good, southern cooking. And we might have as many as 250 people there on a Wednesday night. Let me tell you what. It was amazing. 
families all together. I mean, it was tight. Nobody got a hangnail in that church without somebody saying, let's go pray for them. Let's pray over them. Let's help them. Oh, mow his grass. You know it's hard to mow your grass with a hangnail. You know, all these different things. There was always, there was always that, that cohesion and that love one for another. This is part of that. This is why this is so special because churches all across America, let's not just say uh, where we are tonight in Delaware, but churches all across America, they don't want this anymore. Why? Well, I've got a gluten issue. Well, I'm trying to cut back on this. I'm trying to, you know, those are all important things. Those are all very important things. But is that a reason not to meet? No. If you have a super special dietary need, um, like one of us among us is allergic to peanuts, can't be near peanuts. So we pay attention to that. We say, hey, we're not going to smear peanut butter all over our brother. You know, we're just going to be thoughtful there. So different things, we do that. But this is so important. The food and the fellowship is so important. For those of you who don't know, we get together at 5, and we put out a spread. Everybody brings stuff. And sometimes the feast is unbelievable. Sometimes I just think we should just eat and not talk, <laughs> and just eat and just talk amongst ourselves. Uh, but it, it's just it, this is powerful because this is saying, hey, I'm going to be feeding my brothers and my sisters tonight. I'm gathering together. What did we say last week about being invited, uh, Christ being invited in, uh, in, in, the meal, come and, and sup with me, come and eat with me. That's the greatest, in, in the Hebrew culture, that's the greatest thing you can ever do with somebody is come. I, I want you to be a part of me. And I, I not only want you to be such a part of me, I not only want you to be so welcome, I want you to come eat with me, eat my food. Powerful thing, powerful thing. So we are named in this, and God bless you. We are named in this thing because we're everyone, everywhere, who the way we get into this club is we do what? We call upon the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, their Lord, as well as ours. He's their Lord, the Jews and the other people here in Corinth and everywhere around, and he's ours. We claim him as our Lord and Savior. Powerful stuff. Seems so small. How many times have you read this and you just didn't get that that's, that's in there? A lot of people. I, I know a lot of pastors who, who they, they read over that and they were like, well, you got to be kidding me. This is, this is everybody. Let me say this really quick. Not to throw rocks at pastors because I'm nothing special, but I'm going to tell you this. There's so many pastors in this country who are so afraid. You had an experience with that uh, re very recently. We're so afraid of the idea of Hebraic worldview, Hebrew culture, uh, the Jewishness of Jesus. They would just do anything to get rid of that Jewishness of Jesus. They say that's, you know, that there's a wall there. It's broken. The Jews tried to kill Jesus. That's what, you know, we, we're not fans of them. Yeah, they're decent people, but blah, blah, blah. Total farce, total lie. Why? Because they have to deconstruct. This is what they're afraid of. That's what I was going to tell you before. What they're afraid of is they have to deconstruct everything that they had learned prior to now. If you've done something the same way for a long time, it, it follows that probably you're pretty good at it. You can do it without a lot of effort. But if you have to go in and read a book like Guardian Angel and change the way you think about women, holy moly, that requires serious effort. If you have to go in and read books like Spiritual Formation 1, 2, and 3, and, and at the end of it, you're The Lucky Life. The Lucky Life, listen, I did a whole sermon on that. You can listen to it at drshawngreener.com. Um, Jesus Who, the Jesus Who series. And those of you who are here for that series know you heard stuff that you never heard before. You probably never heard before. It was mind-bending stuff. It's just the reality of it. But we survived. We got through. We're okay. It's, it's all good. But the pastors, a lot of the pastors, because their, their flock has been conditioned so well to follow and believe those things, the traditional learning, the non-Hebraic worldview, the non-Hebraic culture, all the Jewishness of our gospel, the Jewishness of our scripture, because the people are ready to follow that, and it's a way easier path to follow, they don't want to rock the boat. This is why they do it. Or they just flat out think you're nuts. I'm okay with people thinking I'm nuts because I probably am. Anyway, grace to you and shalom, this is three, from, our God, from God our Father and the Lord 
Yeshua the Messiah. Here again, he is being clear. This is who are this is who this is the umbrella under which we all are. He's so smart. He he's so thoughtful in how he repeats the authority. He wants to be clear. This isn't me. This is not me. This is grace to you and shalom from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Something stand out to you about this verse? He's speaking for Yeshua. He's saying grace to you and shalom from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. I thank my God always for you because of God's love and kindness given to you through the Messiah Yeshua. In that you have been enriched by him in so many ways particularly in power and speech and depth of knowledge. Man, that's a compliment, right? Y'all are the bomb, diddy. You can do a lot of stuff, man. You really worship. You you really are doing this kehala thing powerfully. You're to be commended. There's a button here. Indeed, the testimony about the Messiah has become firmly established in you. In this way, you haven't lost your way. In this way, you're to be commended because you know what? You're still focused on Christ so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift and are eagerly awaiting the revealing of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. I would ask you this. How many people give thought throughout the day, Lord, when are you going to come again? When are you coming? The question really is, how much do you hunger and thirst after the true presence of Christ? I'm guilty of, of there could be a whole day going by, and I don't think about it. It doesn't seem like that would be the case, but if I'm being honest, probably so. I read the Bible all just about all day, every day. Uh, but, but, if I'm being honest, for me to sit and have a separate thought of, Father, when are you coming again? In other words, can you please just come on? It's a hard thing because we love, I know people in this room that do it every day. They're probably doing it right now. Lord, come again. This guy's going too long. You know? But in all sincerity, they 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 hunger for that. Not that we stop living here. Because listen, we could be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We've got to we've got to find our way. We've got to find our way to that healthy balance. So that's going to be addressed here. Revealing of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, he will enable you to hold out until the end and thus be blameless on the day of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. God is trustworthy. It is he who called you into fellowship with his son, Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Now, who are we talking about here? Have you gotten a hint? Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Let's be clear. It's all about Christ. Nevertheless, brothers, oh, there's the but. There's a much nicer, much nicer one than I was given. But nevertheless, brothers, I call on you in the name of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, to agree, all of you, in what you say, and not let yourself remain split into factions, but be restored to having a common mind and a common purpose. What does this tell us? It tells us the folks were getting jacked up. The folks were in the Kehala or this gathering. The folks were arguing amongst each other. They had, they had serious disagreements. And this is before they had pews and pipe organs and all that stuff to disagree, the really important stuff to disagree about. They had, they had the silly stuff, like some of the stuff that was going on. But we know that based on what he said, Yeshua the Messiah to agree, all of you in what you say and not let yourselves remain. In other words, they are split into factions, but being restored to having a common mind and a common purpose. For some of Chloe's people, I'll, I'll talk about her, um, it was, there were some schisms you know, throughout the community, and it was, it was sending people out. Um, the leaders, when he named Chloe, that means the leaders of the group didn't bring this to Shaul or Paul's attention. It was Chloe. And the leaders should have reported this themselves. Which evidences are lacking in the leadership? Listen, uh, you know, there's bossy people. I don't think I'm too terribly bossy. 
But they're bossy people. I know it's hard to believe in it. Amen. Not bossy at all. Oh, no, I'm not bossy. Um, so, you know, here's the crazy thing. Leadership is so critical. What we are experiencing in this country right now, on the one part, it is a lack of leadership. Let's be honest. But it's not a mistake. He's doing all these things on purpose. The president is not a fool. He's doing everything he set out to do. And trust me when I tell you, it'll get a lot worse. A whole lot worse. So when you look at him and you laugh at him, and you go, that guy's an idiot. That's what he wants. Because when you look at him, you don't look at him and say, that guy's a traitor. That guy's the enemy. Anyway, as an aside. For some of Chloe's people have made it known to me, my brothers, that there are sorry, there are quarrels among you. I say this because one of you says, I follow Shaul or Paul. Another says, well, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Kepha or Peter. While still another says, I follow the Messiah. Has the Messiah been split in pieces? Was it Shaul or Paul who was put to death on a stake for you? Were you immersed into the name of Shaul or Paul? I thank God that I didn't immerse any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. Otherwise, some might say that you were indeed immersed into my name. Now, let me stop there for a second. What's happening here? You have to understand the Hebrew, the Jewishness of these statements. Because you followed, back in this time, you followed a rabbi. You followed the teaching of a particular rabbi. You were taught under a particular rabbi. You grew up believing and following and learning after a particular rabbi. That's just how it was. Uh, I'm going to do a study uh, one day, just a one-day study on Hillel uh, and then the, the, the opposition, so to speak, of Hillel. Two of the, there was two really big, big rabbinical leaders in Judaism way back from which a lot of stuff came, and their beliefs were pretty radically different. Let me say this about that. Those of you who uh, subscribe to the theory that the Pharisees were all necessarily ultra-hard right, ultra-conservative, uh, theologically, not the case at all. Not the case at all. In fact, in many respects, most of the um, Pharisees were the other side. They were playing fast and loose with the Torah from the standpoint of how they, they manipulated things. They put a lot of man-driven things into what they taught so as to control the people. And we know ever since that's been happening in other churches. The Catholic Church has done it for a long time. The Protestant Church in general has done it for a long time. That's something we have to look out for. Anyway, common mind to common purpose. Chloe's people's quarrels among you. I say this because I follow Shaul. Well, don't we want people to say, well, I go to this church and I listen to this guy's messages. Man, I follow this guy. He's really good. There's a guy who has his own, he just got his own XM, Sirius XM station. 24 hours a day, he's on there. You pay $6 a month, you can listen to all him all the time. Well, and his wife, too. You can listen to her, too. But she's got equally as much theological training. So, but here's, here's the th crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. Uh, there are factions that follow someone else like that, even to a greater degree. Her name is Oprah Winfrey. Google Oprah as God. Oprah as God. There are so many people who view Oprah as a spiritual leader who is, has been a gift from God to the world. It's crazy. Oprah now has, you know, the own network, Oprah Winfrey Network, and she has major events all across the country for which people pay huge money to attend. And when you ask the people, you know, who do you follow? I follow Oprah. I follow Oprah. Let's take it one step further. There's another. I just mentioned his name. Barack Obama. People follow him with a religious zeal. The true believers who, who don't know what is happening to them are like that. They're following a group. Is this necessarily the same thing? 
because the names I'm saying, I follow Shaul or Paul, another says I follow Apollos, another says I follow Kepha or Peter, while still another says I follow Messiah. The issue is not the individual teacher as much as it is the Messiah. Jesus, Yeshua. Has the Messiah been split in pieces? Was it Shaul who was put to death on a stake for you? Were you immersed in the name of Shaul? In other words, did I baptize you? Did I baptize you? Because what would happen is you would say, so-and-so baptized me. It's, there's a similar thing. Uh, when I was coming up, You, if there was a, uh, a, a really good revival that came to your church, and we had many of them at our church, if you had a good revival come, you kind of wished you weren't saved. So you'd go up and get saved again. And, you know, they do these big baptisms. You're like, man, I wish I wasn't baptized so I could be baptized under this guy. You know, it, it, I see a lot of bobbin heads. You all have been there. The cult of personality was a big thing here, just like it is here. It was every bit as big, much shrunken, it's shrunken down, but every bit as big. Anyway. I thank God that I didn't immerse any of you. Oh, hold on. Let's just go back here. I'm not going to get anything done. Immerse. Immerse. Did you hear that word? Immerse. Uh, it's so critical that we realize that baptizo, in the King James Version, was selected by the translation, translation committee. Why? Because King James did not want to go underwater. It was known very well that he never bathed where he was immersed. Never. He was terrified of water. So the influence was, this is only one part of the reasons. There was many other reasons why this was chosen. Water as a clean resource during this time wasn't as readily available as you might imagine. So if you could just drizzle some water on somebody, that was much easier. And you could do it in secret. You could do it quickly and easily, little or no mess. Boom, you're done. But the big reason is, King James, the one who commissioned the King James Version, he didn't want to be guilty of not being immersed. So baptizo really is the wrong, immerse, uh, it's, I'm forgetting the Hebrew word, but uh, the immersion was absolutely critical because you die and then you're raised again. You don't die if they only put you halfway under, I'm just saying. they got to bury you all the way and then raise you back up. So he says, oh yes, in 16, I did also immerse Stephanus and his household. Beyond that, I can't remember whether I immersed anyone else. Why is this important? Because Shaul or Paul is distancing himself from this whole idea of the cult of personality. He, he lived poor, relatively poor. He lived a very Spartan life. If he wanted, he could say, hey y'all, I have baptized like 300 of you. And, you know, that's I have this many followers. I have this many followers. There's a girl on uh, the Dances with the Stars. She has 500, what is it, 500 million followers on Twitter. She is 18 years old, doing videos from her bedroom on how to apply makeup, how to deal with this problem or that problem as a young girl or a teenager. And I've watched several of her clips, and it's actually very good advice. It's very sound advice. 500 million. I didn't know there were that many followers on Twitter. And people will say, well, I follow so-and-so, or I follow this. Paul here, Shaul, said, I don't want any part of this. So we see that the, the right place to come from is where you're not power hungry. What's, I don't go, those of you know me, I don't go to pastor's conferences unless I'm the keynote speaker. It's not because I want to say, well, I'm above all that. I'm not. I'm just a little guy. But, petite, actually. So, the, but I... Don't go to these things unless I'm the keynote guy because they're ridiculous. You go, and it's the first thing they say, oh, well, what church are you from? Evaluation mode, they go into evaluation mode. The bigger number you say, where the city that you're in, that's first. And then, because, uh, you know, you say Podunk, Delaware, that doesn't mean anything to them. But the next thing is, is oh, uh, what size church? How many are you running on Sundays? I actually heard a preacher the other day at a, a, a gathering, just an informal gathering, ask another preacher, how many you run in there? What difference does it make? And then the next question is invariably, what's your budget? What's your budget there at your church? How about how many people last year 
did you bring to a saving knowledge and and discipleship of Yeshua the Messiah? How about how many lives you changed through clothing them and teaching them a valuable job skill and pointing to the cross and saying you don't have to live like this anymore. We're going to help you day by day. I don't know. That's not as big a number. Not as big a number. Anyway, I think we beat that to death. But we're going to beat it to death a little bit more. For the Messiah did not send me to immerse. In other words, he didn't send me here to baptize y'all. Other people can do that. Other people can do that. You know, you could baptize yourself, essentially. The key is in Jewish uh, tradition, the whole idea of baptism is, this is how we know immersion is the deal. It's not sprinkling. Uh, because the only reason another person has to be there is to make sure that every part of you is all the way under. A lot of times it's hair. We want to make sure your hair, because hair a lot of times will float. Like somebody with as much hair as I have, you got to be careful with that. So you got to push that down. you got to push that down. you got to make sure it's down. But the cloak that they wore, they didn't go in naked. The cloak that they wore, they make sure that goes under. Everything that's part of you has to go all the way under. That's the only reason. You could be baptized many more times than one time. Let's say you have a struggle. This is free of charge. This is an additional sermon. This is free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. If you have a struggle that you are fighting against, I have them. If you're having them and you need a breakthrough, I'm a big fan of fasting. Absolutely big fan of fasting. Obviously not enough of a big fan of fasting. But the point is, also, you can be baptized again to that dying, that symbolizing of the dying of, it's not just a one thing linked to salvation. Protestants are always saying, especially Western Evangelical Protestants, are always saying, no, 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 no. We don't believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, that's just a, that's just a public demonstration. We're just doing that for public. Show the public, yes, I'm, I'm following Jesus. Do baptisms need to occur in public? No, they don't. It can be a very private thing between you and God. A very private thing. If you have a spiritual accountability partner, somebody that you're really close to and that knows your junk, maybe they come with you. Maybe if you're not a good swimmer, you have somebody there with a life vest, something like that. But, you know, the thing is, the thing is, is that is something that you can do. I'm not saying it has some uh, supernatural power, but the one baptism thing is silly. It's silly. You can, you can, you can renew that experience. Now, if you're up there every week talking about, I'm, I'm here for my weekly bat, I mean my baptism, and you take soap and a little scrub brush with you, and you got your little flippy floppies with you already, I think you're in there water for a no, whole other reason. But my point is, is it's a heart thing. It's a you and God thing. Anyway, that was free, no cost. For the Messiah did not send me to immerse, but to proclaim the good news, which is what? What is the good news? The gospel. And what is the gospel? Say it again. I can't hear you. The word of God. The, the word of God that says that he came and he did this. He was of the Father. He came. He lived sinless for 33 years. He, was, he served beautifully. He ministered beautifully. And then he was tortured, and he died, and he was put into a, a borrowed grave, which was guarded, and somehow or another, according to prophecy, he rose again. And in that rising again, he gave us redemption and salvation evermore. But to proclaim the good news and to do it without relying on wisdom, which consists of mere rhetoric so as not to rob the Messiah's execution stake of its power. For the message about the execution stake, we say the message about the cross, it really wasn't a cross. Um, that's, not how, that's not what they used. Uh, the execution stake is nonsense to those in the process of being destroyed, but to us in the process of being saved, it is the power of God. Indeed, the Tanakh says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Now, help me with this. 
help me with this. Just, just come along on this little trip. Think about those two statements, which are very Old Testament. They're throughout the Old Testament. They're mentioned. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Now, we know Corinth is where? Where's Corinth on the map? Kind of, yeah, up near there. But the, they had a very Hellenistic or Greek influence there, right? Super, super Greek influence. The Greeks valued intelligence and wisdom and knowledge, the accumulation of knowledge. That's what they valued. But I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. That is a powerful thing to say here for Shaul or Paul to say in this group of people because they were they had the Hellenistic influence here was huge. In fact, that was part of what was wrong with this church, this Kehlah. The gathering, they were saying, well, I'm part of this guy because he's smarter than that guy. No, I'm part of this guy because he's way smarter than your guy. Remember what I said about Apollos and all of these? You know, that was, you, the validity of your faith was really rooted. Your foundation was, hey, I follow this guy. I'm smart. I follow him. Where does that, this is number 20, where does that leave the philosopher, the Torah teacher, or any of today's thinkers? That's a pretty strong statement if you think about it. Where does that leave the philosopher? What do philosophers do? Work at McDonald's? Because <laughs> that's not much of a job, you know, you can get a philosophy degree. But, uh, but you'll know why you work at McDonald's really well. Um, but the philosophers here, where does that leave the philosopher? Where does that leave the Torah teacher, the person who teaches the Bible? Or any of today's thinkers, hasn't God made this world's wisdom look pretty foolish? Remember what I said, the questions we would answer? Who thinks one of them one of them here has just been answered. Right? One of them here has been answered. For God's wisdom ordained the world. What is the foolishness of man? Remember we talked about that? What is the foolishness of man? We think we're God, right? We remake God in our own image. Because we want him to do what we tell him to do. Hurry up, God. And we want him to speed up. What are some other things that are foolishness for us? Foolishness for us. Thinking this guy was done? Wrong answer. He's here. He's among us. Powerfully so. I just, for those of you who are sitting up front, I just tapped Don on the back. He's real. He actually is here. And no, and None of the regular folk believed that he could be. Is it what Don did? I think his powerfully good attitude plays a huge role in that. I think his powerfully high and heavy reliance upon Christ, moment to moment, not just day to day, had a big impact on that. The power of friends' love and provision from the Kehalah had a lot to do with that. Listen, nobody ever, Bill and Emily, they're not here uh, tonight, but they dealt with a powerful thing in losing, Emily losing her grandfather and Bill losing his dad, 82 years old. I mean, that's a big thing. It was a powerful thing. I did my own dad's funeral, wearing his overcoat. And my dad and I were not particularly close. I don't want to portray to you that we were super cool and, and everything. We didn't hang out. We didn't chill together. But, it, but I remember when, when the uh, pastor said, Listen, we're going to close the casket in a little bit, but we're going to ask the family, the immediate family, to come forward and pay your last respects. I walked up there to the casket, and what came over me, I don't know, but I'm thanking God that my brother Randy was there to catch me because I didn't know I was falling. It was as powerful of an experience as I've ever had standing at a casket. I've stood at lots of caskets. And I honestly can't tell you what came over me, but the finality of... This is it. 
we can't fix anything now in our relationship. His understanding of me, my understanding of him. We did two weeks before, I think it was two weeks before, he asked for forgiveness for me for some stuff. And I said, oh, don't even worry about that. I've learned so much from you just by accident. Just by accident, so don't even worry. You've done a better job than you think you've done. And that was healing for him. And it was healing for me. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, when Bill and Emily confront the finality, the reality of, I can never call him up again. You know, I... I got my love of birds from my dad. He had an uncanny ability with birds. Just they loved him. They loved him. They weren't afraid of him. Hummingbirds would land on him, literally. He would, could walk outside and just stand there. Come here, honey. Come here. My dad never talked to anybody like that except for his dog and, um, and the birds. And they would come right up, and they'd be right on him. He'd mow the grass, and they would go right in front of him. I've watched it countless times. He'd be on his little tractor mowing the grass, and he'd all these little hummingbirds come zipping around, and they'd go backwards. Right in his face. And he would laugh. He'd throw his head back and laugh, saying, oh, man. And then on occasions where I'd be there, he'd go, did you see them showing off how they can do? Aren't they something? Yeah, it's amazing. It was just an amazing thing. So I got that from him. Um, but if you were to try to explain this, we're talking about foolishness of man, trying to define what the foolishness of man is, thinking we're God, recreating ourselves in the image of God, uh, recreating God in, in the image of us. Are we going to understand everything that we read in this book? It's, it's, no, we're not. Why? Because it confounds our rational thought. It confounds our wisdom. Um, the last statement I think is very powerful right before 21 is, hasn't God made this world's wisdom look pretty foolish? <laughs> I mean, you know, think about it. That's powerful stuff, y'all. For God's wisdom ordained that the world using its own wisdom, would not come to know him. Therefore, God decided to use the nonsense of what we proclaim as his means of saving those who come to trust in it. The next statement is very powerful. Don't miss this. Number 22, precisely because Jews ask for signs and Greeks try to find wisdom. Why is that so important? Because the Jewish nature is, show me. The Greek nature is, I'm smart enough to understand this on my own. You don't need to show me. Just explain it. I'm good to go. In fact, I'm probably smarter than you. You know, no offense to the Greeks. I know we have some people in Greece that actually listen to this. But, you know, the point is, is the philosophy, the thought then was that Greeks were much more here, you know, we are so smart. And they're just the Jews. What do they know? What country, size of New Jersey, has more patents than any other country in the world? Israel. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> they're so dumb. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're saving lives. So, precisely because Jews ask for signs and Greeks try to find wisdom, we go on proclaiming a Messiah executed on a stake as a criminal. To Jews, this is an obstacle, and to Greeks, it is nonsense. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, this same Messiah is God's power and God's wisdom. Let me say this. Part of this was the understanding of where Yeshua HaMashiach fit into the overall scheme of our faith, especially then, was still in dispute by a lot of people. And it's still in dispute today, is it not? Who in here thinks it's settled, it's settled all among all the different religions, the, the Protestant and the Catholic religions, as to Yeshua's place in it? I know a pastor, a fairly prominent pastor, who I like a lot, he's a friend, and he, he tells me he still struggles, not that Jesus is the Messiah, but that what his role, overall role is, and, the, and then the, the interfolding and, and unfolding of his ministry. And it, this is, I'll just tell you, I'll tell you right up front where he's hung up. He says, why don't we know more about his ministry? I don't understand why we don't know more about his life before his public ministry. We know that he grew in the uh, nurture and admonition of the Lord. We knew that he was amazing. At 12, he was dazzling the folks in the temple. 
but why don't we know more? And then Jesus cleaned his room because his mom said, clean your room. And he wiggled his head a little bit, and all of a sudden it was clean. Why don't we know more about his childhood? I have the answer. If you'd like it, it's free of charge. No cost of obligation to you. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What went into this book mattered. And what wasn't in the book doesn't necessarily matter. Now, are there extra biblical things, historical documents, things like that, that you could study that help you understand this? Absolutely. But this book is enough in and of itself, standing on its own, to do that. I'm almost finished for tonight. So if your feet are asleep, it won't be long. To Jews, it is an obstacle, and to Greeks, it is nonsense. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, this same Messiah is God's power and God's wisdom. For God's nonsense is wiser than humanity's wisdom. Thank God. Thank God that we have this passage of Scripture to say this, but the real PowerPoint is the next verse. And God's weakness is stronger than humanity's strength. Just look at yourselves, brothers. Look at those whom God has called. Not many of you are wise by the world's standards. In other words, listen, if God can work among you bunch of dummies, he can work anywhere, is really what he's saying. I'll say it again. Let's see if you find the subtle insult. Just look at yourselves, brothers. Look at those whom God has called. Not many of you are wise by the world's standards. Not many wield power or boast noble birth. In other words, y'all are the lower class. You're a motley crew. And yet, look what's happening here. Peter or Kepha. Think about Peter. What did Peter do for a living? He was a fisherman. Why wasn't he a Talmudim? Why wasn't he, you know, he failed out of, to some degree, I mean, he's a good Jew, but he, he didn't really do well in the whole following of the, you know, he, he, just, he just wasn't picked to be one of the rabbi's guys, you know? You, come on, you follow me and you'll learn under me and you'll follow me around and do everything for me and you, you'll be great. Uh, no, that didn't happen. He became a fisherman. Probably a really good fisherman, but a fisherman nonetheless. The point here is, is he wasn't, uh, you know, by nature and by birth and by education necessarily, he wasn't supposed to be able to do the things that he did. But he did. Now, think about this. Think about this statement. This is why you've got to understand who's talking and who's he talking to. Shaul or Paul had a fantastic education. He stuttered under Gamaliel. He was a premier Jew. Smart dude. And yet here, he's not comparing himself to the smart guy saying, hey, I have all this education. He's putting himself in this group and saying, I'm a putz. Are you kidding me? Look what God can do with putzes. But God chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the strong. And God chose what the world looks down on as common or regards as nothing in order to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one should boast before God. It is His doing that you are united with the Messiah, Yeshua. He has become wisdom for us from God, and righteousness, and holiness, and redemption as well. Therefore, as the Tanakh says, let anyone who wants to boast, boast about Adonai. Praise God the Father. Because what he's really saying here is, listen, if you don't have that tremendous education, if you don't have a pedigree a mile long, if you don't have um, multiple languages and all these different things, you know what? You could know as much as those people, probably even more. In fact, I would even say more. Study what? Study the Word. Follow who? Follow Yeshua HaMashiach. Listen to who? Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit. Read His Word, follow Him, communicate with Him, trust and obey, do His will, and you will have 
the knowledge that no one can compare. No one here. And you know what? The wise will look at you and say, who are you? What are you? And you can smile and say, I am the redeemed one. Praise his holy name. So if you sit here and you think, well, I don't have all of that stuff. I'm here to tell you, educational pedigree doesn't make a difference. Not a hill of beans. It doesn't. It doesn't. Bio, whatever's read, if you're going to uh, speak somewhere, doesn't make a hill of beans. Will it make people listen? Unjustly so, because I'm, I know people who went to the fourth grade who have a greater and deeper and more powerful knowledge of Christ than I'll ever have. Real people, fourth grade, know more about God, have more Jesus in them than I'll ever have. What about you? Am I saying, am I impugning the value of education here? No. And neither is Shaul, neither is Paul. Paul's not saying, hey, listen, you people that wasted all this money on education, you're dumb. He's not saying that. What he's saying is don't think that's going to get it done for you. Because in the church at Corinth, what was happening? We're going to talk in the coming weeks, not next week, because remember next week, I'm not going to be here. But I'm saying to you, this understand this the bible is to some degree an intimidating book people ask me all the time what translation should i get what translation should i tote around i say the one you'll read the one you'll understand uh people have said to me that they think that the the message uh, Ms., uh dr peterson's the message bible they say that's just the most egregious uh, it's not a trans when they say translation it's not correct it's a paraphrase it is designed to be spoken aloud to read to be read like a story it is not designed to be something you study for theological enrichment or any of those things it's just designed to get if you've never heard it you've never read it ever in your life this is a great book and sometimes it can be a great resource to, to make it simple so simple that you can explain it to others a faith and a belief that you cannot explain to others is a faith and belief that you don't understand yourself. If you can't in one minute, your little elevator speech, if you cannot in one minute tell others why you believe in Christ and why you believe the best thing you ever did was place your faith in Christ and follow Him, if you can't do that, don't say anything more to other people about your faith because that's critical. You know, why do I follow Christ? Ask yourself that this week. It doesn't take 11 years of postgraduate education. It doesn't take that. It takes getting into the Word and following hard and hungering and thirsting after righteousness. The righteousness here that I'm speaking of to you is the knowledge, the saving power of Yeshua Hamashiach. 